a selection from the book of Ephesians. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as a cornerstone. In him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now a reading from the book of 1 Peter. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now, you have received mercy, the word of the Lord. As we continue our journey through the Apostles' Creed, and as we continue our pondering and thinking about the great theological truths affirmed by that creed that are lifted up for us, of course, in Scripture, we come to what has been, in my experience, one of the two most controversial phrases in the creed about which I get most of the questions. One phrase, of course, we've already talked about, the phrase that Jesus descended into hell. We've already talked about that one, so if you have questions, too bad. We're not going to talk about it today. The other one is this phrase about believing in the Holy Catholic Church. Well, I need to say something right off the bat in this church. Let's be crystal clear about this. Here at the Village Church, we accept all denominations, especially 20s, 50s, and 100s. Was the choir laughing? Did they get that one? 
Okay, good, good. That's great. I want to talk about three words in the creed, but I want to speak of them in reverse order. I want to talk about the church. I want to talk about that word Catholic. And then I also want to lift up the word holy. And so let's go right to scripture. Let's think about the whole message of the scriptures, the Old Testament as well as the New. It is very clear that God, in the story of what God does in the world, that God is very, very concerned, God is very, very interested, God is very, very involved in the real lives of real people in the real world in real time. Lots of folks think that the only thing God is worried about and the only thing we should worry about is whether or not we get to heaven after we die. And of course that issue is addressed. But if you study most of the scripture, most of the time talks about this life in the here and now. And the story of the scriptures really is about how God calls a community of people to be his own people so that he can live through them and they can be an example for the rest of the world and bring the rest of the world along in this business of living as God intends us to live. That's the story of the Old Testament. The story of the New is really just the same story. It continues as God continues to call a group of people to be his own in the life of the church and through the life of the church to live and to be an example to all. Real time, real people in the here and now. When the Apostles' Creed talks about, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, it's not talking about some magical, mystical thing that's going to happen later on in triumphant glory. It's not talking about some magical, mystical thing that people only dream of and hope for. It's talking about the here and now just as the scriptures do. And so when we talk about the church, we're talking about the village church in Rancho Santa Fe. We're talking about First Methodist Church down in Mission Valley. We're talking about First Baptist Church in Dallas. We're talking about St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. We're talking about St. Paul's Episcopal in London. We're talking about the National Evangelical Church in Damascus. We're talking about all those churches where you have been and all those churches where people have worshiped today. The great Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the young German theologian executed at the hand of the Nazis shortly before his prison camp was liberated, talked a lot about the real church, the church that you and I know. And he said, the church takes up space on earth. What a way to look at it. Here we all are taking up space on earth. We're real, we're flesh and blood, we live. But therein lies the problem. Because truth be told, we would wish that God had given us a different church. A church that had a better preacher. A church where the temperature in the sanctuary was always exactly like we wanted it to be. A church that always sang the songs that we like to sing. A church where the worship service never goes over 59 and one half minutes. <laughs> Just for that, I'm keeping you here a while. <laughs> the fact is that God has given us the real church, and that means we're a church full of sinners. 
And when you think about it, that's all we could be. You see, that's our entrance requirement, is that you be a sinner. If you're perfect, you don't need the church. If you're perfect, you really don't understand what the church is all about. If you're perfect, well, actually, I've never met someone like that, so why am I worried? The entrance requirement for being in the church is that you be a sinner, a sinner who says, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the entrance requirement. So I don't want to hear any more about all the problems of the church. I know about them. I know more than you know about them. Just try me. Maybe not more than Juan. He's the choir director. They know about lots of problems too. Amen. <laughs> Okay, who said that? <laughs> now, let me tell you a little bit about God's real church. These numbers, of course, are very hard to pin down exactly, but we're told that there are about two and one-half billion Christians in the world. There are about 1.8 billion Muslims, 1.2 billion who claim no religious affiliation, 1.15 billion Hindus, and then there's some left over after that that I don't know how we can account for. Nobody does. There are 33,000 denominations in the world. Not so much because we're totally divided, but because each theological expression, each historical expression of the church has divided itself along national boundaries usually, but there still are many, many thousands of individual denominations. Most scholars like to talk about five major groupings in the life of the church based on their liturgy, on their theology, and on their history. We talk about the Roman Catholic Church, of course. We talk about the Orthodox churches. We talk about the Protestant churches. We talk about the independent churches. And then there is a category called the marginal churches. I wish they'd pick a different word, because I imagine those folks don't think that they're marginal, but that's just kind of the leftover, everybody else kind of swept into the, the, the grouping, the category, right? And actually, as I think about it, I think I'd like to be in one of those marginal churches. I think that'd be kind of interesting. Well, the church is a real entity. It's a real institution, and we are part of it. We believe that God means for it to be because he spends so much time talking to us about it. And that takes us to the word Catholic. Now, if you look at the way the Apostles' Creed is printed, the way it's written, that word Catholic is spelled with a small c. That should be a clue to you. We are not talking in the Apostles' Creed about the Roman church the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church did not exist for about 300 years after the creed was written. The Roman Catholic Church, as we know it as an institution, as an entity, came into being more or less around the year 500. The creed was written long before that. So what does that word Catholic mean? Most of you know, but not everyone knows, and it bears repeating and remembering sometimes. The word comes from an old Greek word that the Latin folks picked up and then was picked up into English from the word catholicus. It means universal. 
It means complete. It means the whole in all of its constituent parts, but still just one. Why would the creed lift that up as an important thing to say about the church? Well, for several reasons. One, because that's what the scriptures say. If you didn't get it when the choir sang it or when the readers read it, let's say it again. Paul says there is one body, spirit, hope, Lord, faith, baptism, God and Father who is above and through and in all. What part of one do we not understand? Paul and Peter want to talk about the fact that we are a kingdom, a family, a building, a race, a priesthood, a people. You see, in the early years of the church, they simply did not even conceive of the possibility that there could be anything other than one church. And of course, there was one entrance requirement into this one church. It's a question that we ask people when they join the church. It's a question we ask people when we baptize children, when we baptize them. Do you believe Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior? Yes, that's it. That's who's in the church. We're big on this idea that Christians are people who follow Christ. If you believe if you agree, if you affirm, if you confess Jesus Christ, you are Christian. Now, we could talk for a long time, time that we don't have, about all of those 33,000 denominations and all of those different groupings and why all of that is and what's that all about, and there's lots of tragic and terrible reasons for it, but there's also some good reasons for it. Still, we are just one church. We are citizens of one kingdom, members of one family, parts of one body, that's it, one building. I'm actually much more interested in the word holy. I believe in the holy, universal, real church. And that word holy is another word that I get lots of questions about. Do you realize that Paul and Peter are saying that you, that we, that all of they, those other two and a half billion Christians around the world, are holy. Holy is a fascinating word in Scripture. Holy does not mean good. It does not mean perfect. It does not mean righteous. What it means is that we are called out by God. God says, I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to create you to be a special people because you have a special purpose and a special calling. That's what Paul meant when he talked to the Ephesians. I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other, loving each other in unity and peace. That's what being holy is all about, is being that. God calls us and sets us aside to be that in the world. Peter picks up on that idea. He says, come to Jesus and like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you. 
God has set us apart to be special, not for our own enjoyment, not for our own privilege, but because we have a job to do. Whether you're here in Rancho Santa Fe or Mission Valley or Dallas or New York or London or Damascus, it makes no difference. We are one people in whom and through whom God is present in the whole world. That's a big responsibility. That's why you had better come to worship every Sunday because your job is to be God's dwelling place in the world. And that's a big job. We need help. We need each other. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the tenors and the altos and the basses and the sopranos. We need us all. I love it when people go away and visit other churches and then come back and invariably say to me, Jack, I was in this other church the other day, and you know, they're better at us. That other church, their pastor's taller. <laughs> I've never understood that comment. <laughs> you know, that other church, this is the way they do it. Why can't we do that here? And I look at them and smile and say, well, let's think about that. Because sometimes we get a better idea. Sometimes we learn. Sometimes we're encouraged. Sometimes we change. And my hope and prayer is that one day somebody's going to be here and they're going to go back to their pastor and say, you know, that church over there, they're better than us. It's not about being better than other churches. It's about learning from the rest of the body. You see, we are an expression of the one kingdom of God, the one family, the one building, the one priesthood, but we're not complete by ourselves. We need every other church, every other church. Wherever it is in the world, whether it's in China or Venezuela or Poland or Mombasa or Kinshasa or Aleppo, we need every other church in order to be the church that we are meant to be and they need us. A local church is a real church, but it's not the whole church. There's only one whole church and that's all two and a half billion of us. My hope and my prayer is that our church, this little piece of the family, will be a part of the whole church, that will be a holy part, a part that through the power of the Spirit as we follow Christ and live into the life that God means us to have is a part that is representing God and being God out in the world whether that world is in your family or your workplace or on the other side of the planet. We are, because God says we are, we are the Holy Catholic Church. Let's get busy. Amen.